is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're so mad, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game, Costco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I've come here to fight. Sandy innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Welcome back, old school fanatics. It's that time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to go back in time to relive the history of professional wrestling. Independent ring announcer Sean Beckerman is back with you to bring you all things nostalgia in sports entertainment. This week is no different. In fact, this week is a very special edition. Each week is special, but this marks the debut episode of our brand new series in celebration of the WWE Network series that debuted a few weeks ago. We present the Monday Night War, the battle for sports entertainment supremacy between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF slash WWE Monday Night Raw. But first, I want to welcome everyone back to Beyond the Bell. We've had a few days off, more than expected, but we're ready to pump out great shows for you and cover all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling i've been very busy the past couple of weeks along with my professional business career and my ring announcing career attending my normal loop of shows i was able to take my son to some wwe autograph signings most notably a couple of weeks ago in south jersey via adventureland in Voorhees, new jersey my son met cesaro and Natalia, WWE superstar, the King of Swing, Cesaro, and WWE diva Natalia, Natty Neidhart. It was great to experience and witness my son meeting them. My son made an impact 
and a memorable appearance or visit with Cesaro and Natalia. If you go to Cesaro's Twitter, I believe it's at WWE Cesaro. He actually posted an Instagram photo, one of those collages in which he had a couple pictures of him with other fans. And then on the bottom rung, that bottom picture, or should I say it was a video of my son doing the uh, Cesaro machine gun arm maneuver that he loves to do. He made everyone laugh the, uh, that was there in person for the signing, especially the WWE PR rep that I, I'm sure he was a part of the PR uh, group for WWE or someone that was the handler or handlers, quote unquote, for Natalia and Cesaro. Cesaro pointed out for the WWE rep to take a video of my son doing the move as it was quite funny. Cesaro loved it. A great guy. I haven't seen him in a few years since I announced him when it was Claudio Castagnoli during his Ring of Honor days. But it was great to experience my son getting to meet his favorite WWE superstars and divas. I just think back of when I met you know Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brett the Hitman Hart as a little kid. I have a lot of those pictures up uh, on my previous version of my website. I'm working on getting those transferred now to the new ringannouncing.com. A lot of those are on my Facebook page that you can link to uh, via the fan page for ringannouncing.com and ringannouncer Sean Beckerman. You can check those out. But I was lucky enough to meet my favorite superstars, and it's great to watch my son there in person meeting the, the superstars he watches on TV. That was such a great experience. Cesaro, a great guy all around, very, very personable, and Natalia won't let go of my son. She actually forgot to sign his autograph at first because she was holding him. You know, they thought he was adorable. I mean, this two-year-old, going to be three coming up in a couple weeks, but this two-year-old can know, knows every superstar, knows every theme song as I documented before here on Beyond the Bell. And the fans in line were all impressed with Bryce Beckerman. So thank you, Cesaro. Thank you, Natalia. What a great experience for my son and myself, my wife and my family, witnessing the WWE meet and greet with Cesaro and Natalia and my baby boy. That was a couple of weeks ago. This past weekend, I was lucky enough to be on site in attendance for Ringside Fest. 2014 or ringside fest 11 i should say in new york city hailing from caroline's comedy club wwe superstars dean ambrose and the bella twins nikki and brie were on hand during the am session i brought my son and was there and was on hand there doing some recordings as well and recording some video footage in which we'll release in the coming weeks during the pm session for stardust and gold dust the the dust brothers as well as Roman Reigns. I have a couple of photos on my Instagram account, which I also, I believe I also linked to my Facebook account in which you can see a couple of photos of my son with Roman Reigns and Golden Stardust. Another great experience seeing the, the look on your child's face as he sees the stars that he watches on TV, it's just priceless. Plus all the action figures. He wants to grab the 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 demo figures, you know, the preview line coming up for the end of 2014 and into the first quarter of 2015. He was trying to grab the Rusev figure, but he was having fun during the Slam City section playing with those little figures. I'd like to firsthand thank my little man, Jake, as well as his father, Perry, for being such great 
partners, great friends, as we experienced a few hours of the inclement weather and then the, the tight pockets in which were created in Caroline's Comedy Club with very tight quarters. But thank you, Jake, for giving my son uh, one of your giveaway action figures. It really made his day. He was so happy still playing with it right now. Great fans, made friends. Thank you, Perry and Jake, so much. And they are now listeners of Beyond the Bell, and we're so excited to have them a part of our wrestling family. Also this week, I would like to announce the Halloween-themed content for Beyond the Bell that you'll be hearing in a couple of weeks. In previous years of Beyond the Bell history, we've actually had Halloween month in which all of the Beyond the Bell content was, of course, Halloween-themed. And when, when you think of Halloween, of course, you think of... Halloween Havoc in WCW. So previous years of Beyond the Bell have been focused on WCW content in the month of October. So in spirit of that, we'll be running a Halloween Havoc Beyond the Bell marathon during the week, the the two-day window, the 30th and 31st of Halloween. So you go to snsradionetwork.com and click on the live stream and you will be able to listen to back-to-back-to-back episodes of the history of Halloween Havoc, the scariest superstars in professional wrestling, the scariest theme music, which is right now the scariest superstars in wrestling. Scary Stars is marked as the most listened to Beyond the Bell in its history, which I'm very shocked at with all the episodes. We've had some great, great numbers, don't get me wrong. But for some reason, for for some reason, the Scary Stars edition has been the episode that edged out above all others as the most downloaded and most listened to Beyond the Bell in its history. Plus, we'll also have those re-archived at snsradionetwork.com, and they're currently archived at btbcast.com. All the Halloween-themed episodes replayed in marathon form the two days, 30th and 31st, Halloween time at the SNS Radio Network. So for this year, I would like to announce the Halloween theme. So in a couple of weeks, a brand new Halloween edition of Beyond the Bell will debut in which we will go over Undertaker's scariest moments in professional wrestling. We'll archive the Undertaker's most horrific either storylines, matches, and moments in sports entertainment. So stay tuned for professional wrestling's scariest superstar, The Undertaker, as we relive his scariest moments. The Halloween theme for Beyond the Bell in a couple of weeks. This week also marks the 15th anniversary of SmackDown. 15 years of SmackDown in sports entertainment. At first, I was going to dedicate an entire show to the history of SmackDown, but we have such stacked programming coming for you over the next few weeks. It was it was really hard to focus in and get the content and the audio ready for you for a full show when I have so much on my plate already to get in and published and debuted out on the SNS Radio Network for Beyond the Bell. So I thought I would take some time on this week's edition to just relive in just a few minutes the history of SmackDown. This also made me think of a new segment for Beyond the Bell. Of course, you all know the match of the week, which I also like to tie in with the theme of Beyond the Bell for that specific week. Stone Cold Steve Austin does it, of course. And at times, I feel it could be redundant as we talk about certain matches that I do recommend as match of the week at the latter portion of our broadcasts, but 
I also thought of another segment that could kind of be flip-flopped or alternated with the match of the week, and that would be the promo of the week. I think this would be more entertaining for some fans as you could listen to the greatest promos in professional wrestling on a week-by-week basis. So I haven't gotten rid of match of the week yet, as I may recommend it during the topics covered on Beyond the Bell during the meat of the broadcast. But I would also like to debut the promo of the week, and that will fit in with a great promo we've heard on SmackDown. So we'll play that at the end of our program. But before we get started with the Monday Night War, I thought we would just take a couple of minutes to relive some of the greatest moments in SmackDown history. So in audio form, let's go back to relive 15 years of SmackDown celebrating their 15 years in sports entertainment. Let's go back and relive some of the greatest moments in SmackDown history. And the day The Rock turned his head and raised the people's eyebrow. Thus declaring The Rock now and forever the people's champion. He's got that wide base. He's going back to that head scissor again. Oh my God, be careful here. Kurt Angle in all kinds of trouble. He's hanging on to the bottom rope. He's hanging on to the top rope. The floor has a pound on the top rope as well. Kurt Angle is Classic Booker T meets Stone Cold in a supermarket. Look at this! Oh, is that Austin? Oh no! Oh, oh, Do you have any great football? He just locked him in the freezer. Oh no! Austin will be the referee someday, but he's taken to Lesnar, the right hand, and here comes Lesnar! Lesnar is so cold! Punch for punch! Austin Lesnar! Exchanging blows here on SmackDown. That's Raw's Austin. SmackDown's Lesnar. Talk about knuckle sandwiches. Hearts in trouble. Oh, wait a minute. Stunner to Heyman. Paul Heyman, our general manager, got stunned by Stone.
America lives here in Houston, Texas. This is the first public assembly of its size since the tragedy of Tuesday. For we are a proud people, proud of who we are, proud of our nation, and damn proud to be Americans. It is just amazing that SmackDown has turned into what it is today from a catchphrase from The Rock becoming its own brand, competing with Monday Night Raw. At one point, fans believed SmackDown to be superior to Raw in terms of in-ring content. We all here at the SNS Radio Network and Beyond the Bell would like to congratulate WWE on 15 years of SmackDown. So before we kick off the Monday Night War, I would like to talk about how this series came about and how we developed it and what to expect going forward in this five-part series. Now, you all can go to the WWE DVD that was released, The Monday Night War, which was really the first publicly distributed piece by WWE outside of, of course, WWE Confidential. But that was the first piece really archiving and documenting the history of the Monday Night War. Then, a couple of weeks ago, on the WWE Network, they released the weekly series, The Monday Night War, which was one of the selling points to the WWE Network. Now, there's been some praise for the series, of course, and at the same time, there's been a lot of criticism. One of the little tidbits that critics have thrown out there is that they haven't credited Goldberg for his impact in the Monday Night War. Hold your horses, all right? A lot a lot of people need to understand that they split up this Monday Night War series in one-hour time blocks covering a different topic each week. Now, I am certain that they'll discuss Goldberg in a coming episode as they need a specific topic to talk about each and every show. They talked about Mick Foley, Bret Hart. They talked about Nitro in general, the NWO, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I am sure they're going to get to Goldberg. They may not have mentioned it or had his episode debut early on, but I am sure they'll discuss Goldberg and his rise and the impact he played in the Monday Night War. They briefly talked about Goldberg during the Stone Cold Steve Austin portion of the series, but hold your horses. They will cover it. All right. Some critics are a little too harsh on WWE until they actually see the full product. Now, a very valid criticism that I've received and heard as well on the internet is that, of course, like with other WWE pieces, that it could be very, very inconsistent, that's a general term, in relation to the facts and timeline of things in relation to what actually happened during that time period. The WWE is also known for retelling their history through their own eyes retelling the story to fit their corporate background, their corporate image. Now, if I am a WWE lifer, WWE has been in my blood since I was a fetus. And since I was born, I came out a WWF mark. I always will be. That's what, that is what wrestling is to me. I grew up on that. But as I got older, I started to not drink the Kool-Aid as much, so to speak. And, and by saying that, I just mean that I started to look at the full scope of the picture of professional wrestling, not just what WWE presented in front of me. Now, a lot of the WWE Monday Night War was presented in very entertaining fashion. It's, it's done very well. Of course, it's the WWE. Their production's going to be phenomenal. 
But as you look over certain books, The History or the Death of WCW by Brian Alvarez, uh, the Wrestling Observer newsletters from that time period, the PW Torch newsletters from that era, you'll be able to get the facts and timeline and the storylines that went through the entire Monday Night War series. And a lot of that is either restructured, reworked, and reworded to fit WWE's story of the Monday Night War. So I thought it was fitting to go through all of the other archived audio, video, interviews, stories, newsletters, articles, blogs, tweets, everything, compile everything, everything together and make a companion piece to the WWE Network series. This is not designed to substitute it. This is not designed to replace it. This is just another component that you can view along with the Monday Night War series, along with the Monday Night War DVD, along with the shoot interviews that you've listened and watched discussing the Monday Night War, alongside the books discussing the Monday Night War. So this is designed to serve as another audio piece for you to listen to, to get a better perspective, to get an increased look at the history of professional wrestling during the most popular and most financially rewarding time in professional wrestling history. With that said, these editions of Beyond the Bell may not be as audio clip heavy as certain other episodes of Beyond the Bell. And that is mainly due to you going, you can go to the WWE Network, go to YouTube, and you can relive these moments during the Monday Night War series. So I think it'll be a bit redundant to play certain clips over again. I'll play others that weren't really mentioned or weren't played fully. Don't get me wrong, there will be audio clips in this series, but it may not be as heavy as certain other editions of BTB. This is really more so designed to be a companion piece to the network series. Therefore, tonight marks part one of our five-part series of the Monday Night War. After we take this short break, we'll cover the groundwork, the beginning of the battle, Black Saturday, the pay-per-view battles, the early 90s, Eric Bischoff leading to the Monday Night War up until the Montreal Screwjob and Bret the Hitman Hart. We discuss the beginning of the battle between WCW and the WWF that led to the Monday Night War. We kick off the beginning of the greatest war in sports entertainment after this quick timeout. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Are you looking for the latest wrestling news? Well, then you should check out www.wrestling-online.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's been around for 16 years. It's one of the longest-running newsletters on the Internet today. comes right to your inbox three to four times a week, depending on how busy the news week is. Want that access on your phone? They also have mobile apps for your iOS, Apple, and BlackBerry. The archives of all the unplugged shows as well as columns. You can also follow WrestlingOnline.com on Twitter, at WrestlingOnline. Or check them out on Facebook, www.facebook slash WrestlingOnline. It's that simple. Wrestling-Online.com is the official news source of the SNS radio network. 
And perhaps you should make it your official news source as well. Once again, that's www.wrestling-online.com. Get ready for takeoff as we are headed to the land of the extreme. Whether you never experienced it or miss the old school days, Sean Beckerman and Beyond the Bell takes you back in time to relive the history of extreme championship wrestling with the ECW 101 series. Go back in time, chapter by chapter, year by year, and relive the extreme promotion from its very beginning and Eastern Championship Wrestling to the downfall and their national exposure on TNN. Relive the hardcore history of extreme championship wrestling now on btbcast.com. Get ready to go extreme on Beyond the Bell. Electrified audiences around the globe for over 60 years. Welcome to a global phenomenon! Today, WWE superstars entertain 13 million members of the WWE Universe. You know it! From over 145 countries and in 30 different languages each week. The champ is here! But it wasn't always this way. On January 11, 1993, WWE broke new ground when it premiered Monday Night Raw. The hottest live action around! Meanwhile, with virtually unlimited financial backing, WWE's chief competition, World Championship Wrestling, was acquiring many of the top superstars that helped turn WWE into a worldwide phenomenon in the 1980s. History! is being made. On September 4th, 1995, the first episode of WCW Monday Nitro aired in the same time slot opposite Monday Night Raw. The Monday Night War was on. For nearly one year, WWE and WCW saw ratings leads traded back and forth. There's capacity crowd jam-packing the arena. Eventually, WCW pulled ahead while WWE's ratings plunged. Soon, WWE's survival was in question. It was time for WWE to shake things up, to create an experience unlike anything fans had seen before. It was time to usher in a new era. Surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. Therefore, we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. 
This is the story of eight men who shun tradition to redefine it. Austin 316 says I just whipped your... Rest in peace. Best there ever will be. Have a nice day. Eight men who battled each other to win a war. The impossible has happened. And it all started with a group of degenerates. We are the generation that you make your rules and we will break up. There has never been a more meaningful, profitable, emotional, tragic, or exciting time in the world of professional wrestling than the era known as the Monday Night War. Not before or ever since. The Monday Night War, this era officially started when WCW Monday Nitro began on September 5th of 1995 no one thought it was going to be a very significant program not to mention just how serious an impact it was going to make it started out as a notch on the tnt fall schedule and within two years almost put the World Wrestling Federation, now known as WWE, out of business. Not any other company in the industry had ever been a threat to Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. They sat high on top of the world of sports entertainment since the early 80s. Ever since Vince McMahon Jr. purchased the company from his father, McMahon Sr. Sr. always had a working relationship with regional promotions and had always agreed to be a fair competitor. Once Vince Jr. took over, he raided, if not wiped out, most of the talent from those same promotions, completely against his father's wishes. At the outset of cable television growth, professional wrestling was a factor in its success as it was cheap to produce and usually scored high ratings. Easy programming, easy functioning, and financially beneficial television. Georgia Championship Wrestling, under the National Wrestling Alliance banner in the mid to late 80s, was the number two promotion in the business. A distant second, but second just the same. It had a steady home on the Ted Turner-owned and operated WTCG in Atlanta, which became the Superstation TBS in the late 1970s. Jack and Jerry Briscoe were the primary stockholders of the company. In 1984, they sold their shares to Vince McMahon. WWF programming filled that time slot, which was known as Black Saturday. We cover this during the history of the Superstation and TBS in professional wrestling history. Go check that out in the Beyond the Belt archive. After the strong Georgia Championship Wrestling fan base refused to watch the family-friendly WWF product, it went back to Georgia Championship Wrestling two weeks later. But in a morning time slot, 
McMahon had agreed to air originally run Georgia wrestling programming for TBS, but instead chose to air a WWF clip show. In 1985, Vince McMahon, under pressure from Ted Turner, sold the Georgia Championship Wrestling shares to Jim Crockett Promotions. This set in motion a rivalry between McMahon and Turner that would only increase over the next decade and a half. The war, by definition, you can say, actually started on pay-per-view in 1987. You can trace all the way back to this point as the initial lighting, the spark of the war. At the time, most pay-per-view companies could only air one live program at a time, and Starcade was scheduled for Thanksgiving of that year. McMahon's WWF decided to debut a new pay-per-view entitled The Survivor Series. This was on exactly the same night. The WWF then threatened that any cable company that chose not to carry the Survivor Series would not carry any WWF pay-per-view 60 days before and 21 days after the show. A 10-to-1 vote later saw the Survivor Series win out. The WWF was subsequently warned by the pay-per-view industry to avoid such an incident again. McMahon would heed that warning but would go up against Jim Crockett Promotions again two months later. This was when the WWF aired the inaugural Royal Rumble free on the USA Network, up against the NWA's Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view. Later that year, Crockett utilized McMahon's practices against him when they aired the very first Clash of the Champions event up against WrestleMania 4. Crockett did this again the following year against WrestleMania 5, but the Clash was not a rating success, so they decided to not to do that type of programming effort again for the time being. Let's make note of that. The Clash would no longer compete with WWF pay-per-views from that point forward up until almost a decade later. Throughout the 1980s, Crockett had steadily bought out other NWA-affiliated promotions in an attempt to make his organization a national one similar to the World Wrestling Federation. As a result, the term NWA became virtually synonymous with Crockett's company, Jim Crockett Promotions. Based out of North Carolina, Jim Crockett was thriving. But by 1988, however, Crockett's acquisition spree, his bank account draining and dwindling... He was forced to sell the company to Ted Turner, whose TBS Air Jim Crockett Promotions television programs. Turner renamed the company to World Championship Wrestling, WCW, after the popular former Georgia Championship Wrestling show. It remained affiliated with the NWA until it seceded in 1993. Turner believed that he wanted to use the WCW name because it was very similar to the WWF acronym. 
As a result, the brand new World Championship Wrestling was born. The late 80s through the early 90s saw plenty of front office shakeups within WCW. Executive Vice President Jim Hurd attempted to incorporate a more family-friendly style to the company in an effort to compete with the WWF. It made sense, of course, they'd seen nearly a decade of fortune with that very mentality. It failed miserably in WCW, however, as more, really the more hardcore fan base rejected it. They wanted their pure wrestling product that differentiated the two companies. WWF was family-friendly entertainment, quote-unquote, while WCW was the pure sport aspect of professional wrestling. Further mismanagement led to the departure of the nature boy Ric Flair in the early 90s. There was at one time a deposit requirement for the company champions, somewhere in the neighborhood of the $10,000 mark, you could say. Hurd and Flair constantly butted heads, and when Flair was eventually granted his release, he was not given back his deposit. Flair would soon appear in the WWF with the WCW title belt. In tow, Heard was fired by the end of the year, entered 1992, and Kip Allen Fry, a Turner exec, who replaced Heard, but only for a few months. His replacement was none other than Cowboy Bill Watts, former wrestler throughout the 60s and 70s and owner of the UWF, which was bought out by Turner in the mid to late 80s. The UWF was heralded as a company ahead of its time, and edgy, compelling storylines as told through highly competitive, often violent matches also, it set a new standard for professional wrestling. We've had some recommendations from our fan base, and we will cover the UWF in our 101 series. It was also around this time that the WWF was under serious investigation with accusations by former employees of sexual misconduct and narcotics as well as steroid abuse throughout the family safe company. The company was already dealing with sagging ratings thanks to weak if not silly storylines and characters, hokey in a sense. Turner struck during this vulnerable time for the company by hiring Watts to take the helm at WCW. This didn't turn out as had been planned as Watts incorporated some edicts that didn't sit well with the workers, such as banning off the top rope moves, nothing off the top rope was legal, removing the mats from the concrete floor, and drastically cutting pay. He also featured a style of wrestling that was the antithesis of the WWF with lengthy wrestling heavy matches in small, dimly lit arenas that mirrored wrestling in his heyday. He also received criticism for pushing his son up the roster before he was arguably ready much in the same way as Booker Dusty Rhodes had previously done with Dustin Rhodes, Gold Dust. It was an unfortunate interview with Pro Wrestling Torch, the PW Torch, and Wade Keller that was taken out of context over a year before, where he made comments of a racially sensitive nature that would eventually cause him headaches within WCW. Hank Aaron was a Turner executive, and was rallying for his removal. 
Watts quit before they could fire him. You must make note, though, that Bill Watts has made it known publicly on interviews, shoot interviews, radio interviews, as well as on WWE television. He mentioned it on The Legend of Wrestling and most recently on Jim Ross's podcast, The Ross Report. I'll give a plug for good old JR, a great show on podcastone.com. But he also he's made, he made it known specifically on those shows and outlets that he was anything but racist in a sense, as he actually brought out and presented to the fans and sports entertainment the first ever African-American world heavyweight champion in Ron Simmons. Overall, Watts and executive management from Turner and possibly Turner himself, in a way, small if anything, but overall they did not get along. Their visions were not in alignment. After Bill Watts left, Jim Ross who was the voice of the promotion, left the company as well at the beginning of 1993 to join the World Wrestling Federation and make his debut at WrestleMania 9. This leads us to a chance meeting with C-Team announcer Eric Bischoff, which led the company to a decision that would name him as the man in charge. WCW wanted a complete overhaul at the point before he left, most thought Jim Ross would take over Watts' duties and head up WCW. Instead, they went with Eric Bischoff. Everything from how they presented the product to its corporate image were in need of a major change per Turner Brass, and Bischoff was more than willing to oblige. He started out as an announcer for the former number three promotion in the 1980s, the AWA out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Unfortunately, this great promotion went belly up in the very early 1990s, and we'll absolutely cover them in our 101 series. Interesting enough, in between jobs, Eric Bischoff auditioned for an announcing job in the WWF, where he admittedly did a less than stellar job, and thus was not hired. The first year under Bischoff's reign was shaky at best, but the style was morphing. Television tapings were being held at the CNN Center and Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Gone were the brutal and dark matches of even a year ago. The shows were a bit more akin to a corporate television show, but yet the ratings didn't budge. That was until the company signed newly free agent, the immortal Hulk Hogan. This definitely ushered in a new breed of wrestling fan and a style that was at the same time turning off its original core of loyal fans dating back to nearly 25 years. Times had changed and WCW would never be the same again. In fact, the entire wrestling industry was changing, but again, no one could have predicted just how much it was about to change. Let's flip the switch, so to speak, and look at the WWF. The World Wrestling Federation had been running a Monday night show on the USA Network from the mid-80s until 1993 called Primetime Wrestling, with the emphasis being on a variety-type show, with wrestling being on the back burner almost the entire time. From Bobby and Gorilla hosting the show, they went to a panel style with the table, Vince McMahon, and Bobby Heenan also hosting 
with an audience behind them. Different versions of the show went through the annals of time in primetime wrestling's history, but it was getting dated. After interest dropped, the WWF changed the format of the program, and in January of 1993, Monday Night Raw was born. I was standing in the cold outside of the Manhattan Center with my dad, getting ready to witness the very first ever Monday Night Raw. The WWF went unopposed in the time slot and had some compelling programming that was completely new. It was raw. It was so different than the previous versions and format of WWF's programming. The show was held at, of course, I mentioned the small, gritty Manhattan Center, and the crowd always seemed hot. Being there live in person, you could tell that wrestling was changing. Something new was happening. Gone were the old days of extensive, long-winded TV tapings, even though they would return from time to time, but the format of the show was changing. This was coming becoming more edgy. Realism was entering professional wrestling. Rumors were running rampant in the crowd, actually, on Monday Night Raw was, what did Raw really stand for? The most popular acronym that I heard people mention was Real Action Wrestling. No one for sure knew what Raw meant, but Vince McMahon, behind the scenes, wanted a Raw product, as he would mention in his deep voice, to bring something different, to bring a spark in not just his company, but professional wrestling as a whole. It certainly did that. In the past, WCW relied solely on their Saturday night time slot on TBS, with an in-studio program and programming schedule that were, aside from quarterly Clash of the Champions specials, considered the flagship. After signing such names as Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Mean Gene Okerlund, and Bobby the Brain Heenan, among others, the company became aggressive. WCW Monday Nitro premiered on September 4th, 1995, as an hour-long weekly broadcast, and Bischoff was instrumental in the launching of the program. During their mid-1995 meeting, Ted Turner asked Eric Bischoff how WCW could conceivably compete with McMahon's WWF. Bischoff, not expecting Turner to comply, said that the only way would be a primetime slot on a weekday night, possibly up against WWF's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. He was asking for a time slot on a Turner network competing on Monday nights against the number one promotion. Surprisingly for Bischoff, Turner granted him one live hour on TNT, the hottest news channel on Turner's broadcasting network, every Monday night, which specifically overlapped with Raw. This format quickly expanded to two live hours in May of 1996, and then later three. But we'll get into that in other editions. Bischoff himself was initially the host. He handled the first hour along with Bobby Heenan and former football player Steve Mongo McMichael, with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco hosting the second. Other co-hosts included Mike Tenay, usually for matches involving cruiserweights or international stars to provide his expertise, Scott Hudson, and Mark Madden. We'll get into those later on. The first edition of WCW Monday Nitro, and actually 
unopposed as Raw was preempted that week. Great timing by WCW as being the only wrestling on Monday night for their debut episode. And where did they go? The Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nitro began as a live, hour-long program and right out of nowhere surprised everyone with the appearance of the former now renamed and renowned as the total package Lex Luger. Luger had just been a WWF superstar and to McMahon's dismay was now with the competition. And remember the WCW World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan will be here later on in this live debut broadcast. What in the hell is he doing here? Get the kid off of him. public mall. Get him out of here. Somebody call the security guards. What? Get the security and get him out of here. What's he doing wrong? What is he doing wrong? This is just unabashed arrogance. in my backyard, Luger. Well, let me tell you why I'm here. I'll make it clear right up front. I'm here for one reason and one reason only. People say that you're the number one wrestler in the world today. You wear that WCW belt around your waist. And you know what? That makes you the only world's heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. That's why I'm here. Let me tell you something, Luger. Second, before you jump the gun, no. hold on just one second and let me finish. Then you'll have your peace. Just let me finish. I've been down the same roads as you. I've been where you've been. I've beaten the same people you've beaten. I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get it on with the big boys, and that means you. And I don't care whether it's next month, Next year or five years from now, I'm going to get my shot. 
You see this, brother? This is the WCW Heavyweight title, brother. I'm the champion, and that's the way it's going to stay forever and a day. I know where you've been, brother. You've been playing games. I'm going to have to give you your due, brother. I know when you started and how long you've been at it, brother. But when you come in the WCW, when you get in Hulk Hogan's face, brother, there's thousands of Hulkamaniacs, brother, that are going to stand behind me each and every bit of the way, Luger. So as far as I'm concerned, brother, as great as you may be, you don't have to prove nothing to me, brother. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till next month. Just stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Shake my hand, and I'll put the WCW title on the line next Monday on Monday Nitro right in Miami. I'll put the title the no, WCW. She got it. You better kill like it. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. Apparently next Monday, yes, it's been confirmed. Hogan and Luger for the WCW heavyweight title. If we can keep it under wraps. Eric Bischoff, Steve McMichael, the brain. I can hardly wait till next Sunday in the meantime. From the Vault of America, have a great one. There's an interesting story behind that. Um, I had my contract was coming up at WWE at the time, and you had to get a 90-day notice to Vince if you wanted to leave, or else your contract would automatically roll over in writing, certified. So this was like November. My 90-day notice came up like November 25th. I gave him the 90-day notice, which meant my contract was going to be up like in March or something of 95. And But we continued to talk and negotiate trying to work out a deal, and I went on without a contract, which is a risk for him and myself for months on end until September of 95, Steer called me up on the phone and said, hey, we're starting the Monday night show up against you guys. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, and came up with a conversation that I was no longer under contract technically with Vince. His thing was like, you got to be kidding me. Well, he talked to Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff was not a fan of mine at all. And didn't, wasn't really all that interested, but Siri goes, man, we could use him on that first Monday night show. It would be a really cool surprise. So Eric was like, well, yeah, maybe we, can, maybe we could work something like that. So they, Eric goes, the only thing is, I don't want him to tell anybody because we'll get out on the Internet. So he has to leave without giving even a two-week notice, which, to be honest with you guys, even Alexa back then, I was very uncomfortable with that because Vince had done a lot of really nice things with me and for me and personally. We had a good, uh, a, a very good relationship. So I was very uncomfortable. That was like the stipulation of me coming in there. So, um, and they offered me, uh, at the time, not, not the kind of money I was used to making, but my career at WWE wasn't exactly on fire at the time. So I decided to, for the benefit of my career and my family to go ahead and jump ship without note, without two week notice. So I actually went from a house show on a Sunday night to a Monday night appearance on WCW, much to the shock of Vince McMahon, and the rest is kind of history uh, for Monday nights. So it ended up being full of surprises from there on out. But um, it was actually kind of a last-minute decision right before the Monday Night War started because I was no longer under contract with WWE. I had been wrestling without a contract for months, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy. 
it was this sort of shocking development that made going live a real advantage. Luger had worked for the company from 1987 to 1992 when it was still affiliated with the NWA before joining the World Wrestling Federation the following year. WCW's coup of attaining Luger was significant for several reasons. Because Nitro was live at the time, premiering major stars on the show would signal to the fans the amount of excitement the broadcast would contain, meaning you cannot predict what would happen. This was new for its time. Secondly, Luger had just come off a successful run in the World Wrestling Federation, even though others would argue it was a disappointment as he was expected to win the WWF Championship, but he was still a popular name on WWF television. He was one of the company's top stars at one point. In fact, he had been in line to get the world title and had had several previous title matches and worked a WWF house show the night before. Since nobody but... Bischoff and Luger's best friend, Sting, knew that Luger would return to WCW. The shock value generated by his appearance was enormous. Third point here is Luger's defection created speculation among the fans as to which other big-name stars would quote-unquote jump ship. Notably, he would be followed by WWF Women's Champion Alundra Blaze. She appeared with it on live WCW television, insulting her former employers before throwing the title belt into the garbage can. All Bischoff's doing. Monday Night Raw, on the other hand, had a monthly television taping, with the first show usually right after a pay-per-view airing live. With no competition until that point, the WWF was free to broadcast shows that were at times up to three or four weeks old. Bischoff hosted the show, and right on the air would reveal the results of that night's Raw, since it was almost always pre-recorded. WCW also had the Turner billions at its dispense and used much of it to fill its roster with big names of yesteryear world-class wrestlers from across the globe and eventually raided the ecw group we mentioned this in our ecw 101 series which while small and operating out of a bingo hall was the most copied promotion in north america or most imitated or what's popular is to say an inspiration was ECW. Raw and Nitro shared wins in the Monday Night War early on, and the rivalry quickly heated up. Nitro began airing a weekly segment entitled Where the Big Boys Play, composed of stock footage of matches featuring current WWF wrestlers who had started their careers as jobbers in WCW, all of which ended in that WWF wrestler on WCW television at that point, of course, losing the match and suffering a humiliating loss, proving that WCW big boys were better than the current WWF stars. Bischoff also began to open Nitro broadcast by giving away the results of Raw matches as the program was usually taped a week prior to airing. The move prompted an, es- an escalation to the WWF's campaign against WCW. As Raw began airing skits, before and after commercial breaks entitled Billionaire Ted depicting Hulk Hogan as the huckster 
Randy Savage as the Nacho Man, and Ted Turner as Billionaire Ted. Let's not forget about Scheme Gene for Mean Gene Okerlund. While the material involving Hulk and Savage usually revolved around jokes relating to the men's ages in relation to their younger co-workers and presented them as geriatrics and presented them as geriatrics attached to oxygen tanks, the skits revolving around Turner were decidedly more inflammatory in nature and contained material that could have been considered slanderous. The WWF was promoting their new generation era. And right now, here comes Billionaire Ted's bombshell. Okay, guys, we need a new slogan for our wrestling show. How about uncut, uncensored, uncooked? Ah, no, we, we've already stolen that one. How about ripping off unbelievable? You know, like not believable. Yeah, like Ted's wrestling is not believable. Boys, this is no time to start telling the truth. We really need something original this time. How about this is where the good old boys play? Or even just the old boys play. Who are you calling old, brother? What did I just tell you guys? This is no time to start telling the truth. Yes, Nacho Man. Let's lie. How about this is where the big boys play? Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? You don't have to worry about that, brother, because we're not in the WWF anymore. Yes, this uh, says where the big boys play. The new WWF generation. There's nothing old or artificial here. The skits were ultimately ended in a short presentation before WrestleMania 12, which killed off all the characters. Kenny Loggins said it best, this is it. WrestleMania is just around the corner and I can't wait. I can't believe this one, the Huckster and the Nacho Man. The WWF is going to give it away for free on the free-for-all. Hey, they might as well. Even I can't figure out a way to make a buck on this one. This just in, a stipulation has been added. No handcuffs or ladies' shoes will be allowed at ringside. Boy, that will surely handicap the intrigue in this one. I understand the huckster's been training hard for this one. Let's take a look. It's obvious the huckster's in the greatest shape of his life. The Nacho Man is also training hard, but in a different way. Nacho's looking for that psychological edge. Roll. Roll. Roll! Oh, yeah! Hey, 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 h
What factor will hair have in this matchup? We'll find out real soon. By the way, billionaire Ted will be the special guest referee for this match, if he can pull himself away from those FTC hearings, which, by the way, we will bring to you next week. Now, don't forget to call me on the hotline. Rumors are flying about the sun and the possibility of darkness tonight. Will there be nightfall? I can't tell you here on TV, but call my hotline for this exclusive information. WrestleMania 12 also marked a brief turning point for the WWF, during which Raw would overtake Nitro for two consecutive months. The event saw the return of the 1980s fan favorite Rowdy Roddy Piper, who made a face turn to fight Goldust. Goldust transsexual type persona, very controversial to say the least, had been particularly displeasing to fans. His defeat at the hands of Piper became a high point of the evening. Another 1980s favorite, loved by the fans, returning that evening was the Ultimate Warrior, WWE Hall of Famer, The Warrior. He went on to enjoy a brief but successful revival in popularity as he defeated a young Triple H, making his WrestleMania debut. That stint was short-lived, as we mentioned previously, on Beyond the Bell. WWF brass were attempting to bring back former fan favorites to revive the low ratings. The main event, a heavily promoted match between the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels and Bret the Hitman Hart that lasted for an entire hour, the Iron Man match. It launched Michaels' popularity in addition to marking the beginning of Hart's decline with the organization both backstage and inside the squared circle. The WWF would also gain the advantage over Nitro for two months as well during that period. McMahon and company were putting up a fight. Many of McMahon's top wrestlers and talent have left for the lucrative contracts Turner owned World Championship Wrestling has been offering. We really didn't have any long-term contracts at all with our talents. Uh, there was really no reason to. As each contract came up for renewal, old billionaire Ted got out of his checkbook. Poof, gone. Turner was more than willing to, uh, to take them and allow them to rebuild their, their images under the umbrella of the WCW. The only way you can recover is, is again, persevere, um, tighten your belt a bit, um, and build a better mousetrap. And you can't do it overnight. As a battle-weary McMahon regroups in his Connecticut headquarters, Atlanta-based Ted Turner declares war on the WWF. Both McMahon's wrestlers and ratings go south. The opening salvo of the wrestling wars begins on September 11, 1995. Turner's live Monday Nitro goes head-to-head -head with the WWF's pre-taped Monday Night Raw. Turner's ratings are strong. Well, why can't I buy the WWF? McMahon strikes back, creating a long-running parody of Billionaire Ted, lampooning Turner and what McMahon considers WWF defectors. Who you calling a has-been, brother? The fight gets personal. It's personal, and it's damn personal. It is my life, and it's the life of my daughter and my son. It's real tough to compete with a billionaire. Doesn't that just bring a tear to your eye when you hear that? Well, the first thing you got to remember is Vince McMahon is nothing more, nothing less than a good showman.
Eric Bischoff spearheaded the WCW's assault against the WWF until September 1999. He can talk about being an underdog and he can talk about the deep pockets of Turner and Time Warner. The reality of the situation, however, is that I work on a budget that's probably a fraction of his. The WCW Nitro Show leads the ratings for over a year and a half. For Vince McMahon, it's now a matter of survival. Time for another McMahon reinvention. Vince just said, well, we're taking it down into the gutter. You know, if you're not going to follow us, uh, we're going to see who people want to watch. The direction Vince McMahon is about to take his WWF will spark controversy that is still raging today. And all I can say is that whoever is criticizing uh, what we are doing would very much uh, appreciate and enjoy the television ratings that we achieve because apparently a lot of America really enjoys what we do. But a lot of America hates it too. Coming up, Vince McMahon points the WWF in an even more controversial direction. By the mid-1990s, even some WWF veterans are disgusted by McMahon's tactics to get the ratings up and take on Turner. Vince McMahon and the WWF are on the ropes, with much of his top talent gone and Ted Turner's WCW rapidly taking charge. McMahon must change in order to survive, a skill McMahon has developed throughout his life. And he took a sort of a radical turn, and uh, it was like the only way to compete was to go a completely different direction. They started going into racial stuff, they started going into sexual sort of uh, storylines. That, that was the problem I had. Canadian wrestler Bret Hart was a WWF superstar whose conflicts with Vince McMahon are revealed in a 1998 A&E Network documentary. For many, it marks the turning point for the WWF. I was being pushed out and pushed out hard, and when I finally reached an agreement with the WCW, then they did everything they could to trash me even more. Hart says there was a pre-arranged agreement on the eve of his final WWF match. It would allow him to bow out gracefully before going to Turner's WCW. But before a hometown Canadian crowd, he is humiliated. Hart says it is a purposeful betrayal by McMahon. I reached around to grab Sean's leg, and I could hear someone say, ring the bell. That's when I knew it was Vince McMahon. I finally realized that they screwed me. They really screwed me, the lousy bastards. The conflict ends in an altercation between Hart and McMahon behind closed doors. It's a fateful night for McMahon, who observes the anger directed toward him by the crowd in the arena. After uh, that occurred, I was summarily booed out of the building. This was in Canada. And uh, so then I said, hmm, maybe we're on to something here. The crowd's anger leads him to what may be his greatest act of reinvention yet. McMahon creates a new persona, the evil Mr. McMahon. You can believe that Vince McMahon didn't screw the people tonight. The people screwed the people. His portrayal of the ruthless, conniving chairman of the WWF becomes an instant hit. McMahon sees that by inciting the crowd and the TV audience, he can breathe new life into the WWF. This is a turning point that critics and competitors say takes wrestling and the audience into the mud. Vince McMahon decided what we're going to do is we're going to put on the most outrageous show that wrestling has ever seen. And so suddenly their ratings started to shoot through the roof. What people begin seeing on the WWF isn't their father's wrestling. You get your back here, you little I'm going to do something 
for the host. In a steady evolution, some critics say de-evolution, storylines change, new, darker characters are introduced, and sexual and social boundaries pushed. Among the dozens of characters in this hormonally charged soap opera, Val Venus, ex-porn star. The Godfather, a 70s stereotype of a street pimp. Sable, a blonde beauty who appears nude in Playboy and pretty close to it in the WWF ring. And the superstar of the WWF, Stone Cold Steve Austin. A foul-mouthed, beer-guzzling Texan whose trademark is a raised middle finger and whose slogan is, Hell yeah! His on-screen battle royale with Vince McMahon helps pull the WWF out of the rating slump. There's no question that all of our characters, I mean, are way over the top, which is why people can sit back, suspend reality to a certain extent, watch us and strictly enjoy us for the entertainment value that we bring to them. Critics say the only problem with that argument is that 15% or more than 1 million WWF viewers are 11 years old and younger. They say that McMahon deliberately targets children too young to separate the reality from the fantasy. What Vince McMahon does, has done, is target children for the lowest. He's, he's gone the, the lowest as quickly as possible. And he knows that the reason McMahon is now beating the hell out of the WCW in, in the ratings is because his content is so much more vile. Since WCW is part of Turner, uh, which has to, you know, is part of Time Warner, they have to keep their nose a little cleaner than Vince McMahon does. We turned the channel on the other side of the fence. WCW was about to gain the upper hand again and retain it for an extended period of time, thanks in part to two former WWF superstars. On Memorial Day, the 1996 edition of WCW Monday Nitro, the first of those stars... The former Razor Ramon, now known as Scott Hall, had just signed with WCW. He interrupted a match and delivered a statement that if WCW wanted a war, they were going to get one. He challenged the best of WCW. Bring on the best you got to stand up and defend the company against the onslaught of Hall and his companions. Though Hall was employed by World Championship Wrestling, the storyline was presented to imply that Hall was in fact working as a WWF employee and that his presence represented an invasion by the rival promotion. He came off as Ray's Ramon on WCW television. The following week, Hall promised a big surprise the next week in Wheeling, West Virginia. That surprise was revealed to be the second WWF defector, former WWF champion, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, now known as Kevin Nash. The two were dubbed the Outsiders. Both men took to showing up unexpectedly during Nitro broadcasts, usually jumping wrestlers backstage, distracting superstars by standing in the entranceways of arenas, or walking around in the audience. Within a couple of weeks, they announced 
the forthcoming appearance of a mysterious third member. This led us to bash at the beach. Hall and Nash were scheduled to team with their mystery partner against Lex Luger, Randy Savage, and Sting. At the onset of the match, Hall and Nash came out without a third man, though, telling announcer Mean Gene Okerlund that he was in the building. But they didn't need him yet. Shortly into the match, a stinger splash resulted in Luger being crushed behind Nash and being taken away on a stretcher, turning the match into the Outsiders vs. Sting and Savage 2-on-2 and teasing the possibility of Luger, a former WWF superstar like Hall & Nash, as the mystery partner. Hall and Ash took control of the match when Hulk Hogan came to the ring. After standing off with the Outsiders for a moment, he suddenly attacked the macho man Randy Savage, showing himself to be the Outsiders' mysterious third man, and thus turning heel with the three men now collectively known as the New World Order, the NWO. In the post-match interview, Hogan appeared to break character, insulting the fans, expressing burnout on having been a face for so long, and stating that he was tired of what he perceived as a lack of appreciation for his accomplishments. Hogan's statements inspired enough hatred in the audience that they began to pelt him with food and garbage. Mean Gene was struck by a beer bottle at one point. One fan jumped the security railing and attempted to attack Hogan and had to be restrained by Hall and Nash until arena security could remove him from the building. This was huge at this point in time. History was in the making. The following evening on Nitro, most of WCW's top stars gave supposed out-of-character interviews expressing their feelings of betrayal and disillusionment with Hogan's betrayal. The ensuing storyline in which NWO waged a campaign of anarchy against the WCW and the superstars continued to blur the lines between reality and storyline, fact and fiction, a unique presentation that acknowledged fans' growing awareness of backstage wrestling politics. Fans were pleased with the new gimmick, and for the next 84 consecutive weeks, Nitro would beat Monday Night Raw in the ratings. To further fuel the animosity between companies, Eric Bischoff began opening Nitro broadcasts by reading the results of taped Raw shows on air, to discourage fans from switching channels. The WWF retaliated by filing a lawsuit against WCW, alleging that WCW was illegally representing the NWO as a WWF affiliate and that Hall's persona was too close to his Razor Ramon character, which itself was a parody of Al Pacino's character Scarface, to which the WWF retained the rights. The WCW countered that in June, Hall and Nash had emphatically stated on camera that they were no longer WWF employees and that Hall's current persona was in fact a reworking of his previous WCW character, the Diamond Stud, which was a variation of Razor Ramon, the early stages of the character, you could say. The lawsuit 
would drag on for several years, culminating in the WWF agreeing to drop the suit in exchange for the right to bid on WCW properties should they ever come up for liquidation. The settlement, as well as Bischoff's giving away the results of taped shows, would both prove disastrous for WCW years later. This made a huge imprint in the Monday Night War, as the WWF at the time wasn't live every week, as opposed to Nitro, which was. They would tape their typical live show, which would broadcast live, and then film possibly two to three weeks out for Raw broadcasts. Monday Night Raw and the WWF in general was considered to be at a creative all-time low before Nitro even started, thus helping WCW's meteoric rise. Into the early 90s, the WWF had continued the creative formula that had given the company such success in the 1980s. Clear-cut face versus heel, babyface versus the villainous heel storylines, colorful wrestlers with themed gimmicks, and alluring female valets who nonetheless maintained a PG-13 level of sex appeal. Although the formula had been popular during the MTV-fueled rock and wrestling era, fans in the 1990s began to gravitate towards more morally ambiguous characters, you could say, wrestlers whose personas were more grounded in reality, and metafiction storylines that acknowledged their awareness of backstage politics via the use of the newly found internet. With the introduction of the NWO, the June 10th, 1996 episode of Monday Night Raw would be the last ratings victory in nearly two years for the company. On November 4th, 1996, on an episode of Monday Night Raw, the WWF aired the infamous Pillman's Got a Gun angle with the feuding Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman in a series of vignettes broadcast from Pillman's real-life home. Pillman, supposedly uh, debilitated following an attack by Austin, vowed to protect himself and his wife with the help of a group of friends should Austin appear. At the end of the evening, at the end of the broadcast, the final vignette depicted Austin breaking into Pillman's home, prompting Pillman to pull a 9mm Glock on Austin, and the feed being quote-unquote interrupted in the ensuing chaos, with commentator Vince McMahon stating that he had been informed of a couple of explosions. When the feed resumed, Austin was shown being dragged out of Pillman's house as Pillman screamed, That SOB has got this coming. Let him go. I'm going to kill that SOB. Granted, I'm cleaning it up a bit for you fans, but it was racy. And in the wake of the announcement, Stone Cold Steve Austin threatened to show up here tonight live at Brian Pillman's home in suburban Cincinnati. Now, Mr. Pillman is here with his wife. His children have been sent to their grandparents in the wake of this threat. Now, you can understand Mr. Pillman. He's very tense. He's inside, immobile, and feeling very vulnerable. It's a high-tense situation. What will Brian Pillman do if Stone Cold Steve Austin follows up with his threat and shows up here tonight live? Brian, I have to ask you. After the unprovoked savage attack last week on WWE superstars, you had, I understand, reconstructive surgery once again on your ankle. Can you give us the prognosis? What have the doctors told you about your recovery? Look, Kelly, I'm alive and well. 
I got an excellent prognosis for 97. But let's talk about Mr. Austin's prognosis. I've been in bitter feuds many, many times in this sport. There's a fine line between business and private lives. Austin, you've crossed that line. You've made this personal. And now we're operating on a whole different set of rules. And Brian, we heard earlier that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin could be on his way to your home here tonight. Uh, I, you Actually, can't move. Kevin, if I can inter interject this, uh, I am, so I'm told that, uh, in fact, that we have uh, Mr. Austin circling the neighborhood, and I just wonder oh. whether or not, from your standpoint, uh, Mr. Pillman, if you can hear me, it seems to me that considering your vulnerability with your wife, Melanie, and with, well, Steve Austin's very vulnerable as well. What, what, I not, think what, do you his feel rage has like, blinded him to the fact that his best friend knows him better than anybody. Do you feel it? His strengths, his weaknesses, and certainly his fears. Notwithstanding your bravado, do you feel a hostage? Do you feel like you're a hostage in your own home tonight? Ah, Steve is a dead man walking because when Austin 316 meets Pillman. Oh, my God. Nine millimeter oh, my God. I'm going to blow his serious straight to hell. Steve Austin's out there now, man. What? Austin literally trying to break into Brian Pillman's home. Do you know where Austin is? I do not is? know where Steve Austin is. What was more damage? He saw the gun. Was he more saw damage? The gun and he left. Oh, what? my God, he's back. polarized fans and shocked the USA Network as well, which was not accustomed to featuring a program with the profanity and level of violence presented in the vignette. This was new to them, although the WWF and Pillman himself were forced to issue apologies to avoid Raw being canceled for a breach of contract, the ensuing discussion of the incident in the fan community generated the most attention the WWF had received since beginning since the very beginning of the Monday Night War. This prompted the WWF creative team to begin looking into the idea of more adult-oriented stories and characters and mimicking the WCW's metafiction elements. Officially, on February 3rd, 1997, Monday Night Raw changed to a two-hour format to compete with WCW Monday Nitro. In an attempt to break the momentum of what had turned into ratings for Monday Nitro, Extreme Championship Wrestling was brought in as Jerry Lawler challenged ECW on February 17th in the weeks to come. Several ECW wrestlers would appear on Raw in a story arc similar to the NWO storyline as they were invading Monday Night Raw in Extreme Style. Vince's curiosity with ECW started at the King of the Ring in Philadelphia. When Mabel was crowned King of the Ring, and the entire arena is chanting ECW, with great passion and anger at Vince McMahon. Mabel! Oh, Good. Crushing pose. Look at this. Driving. It's 568 pounds. Listen to this. 
had heard about ECW, and there's this other, you know, wrestling organization, ECW, local in New York, and um, I, I didn't, I kind of dismissed it at first, you know, and it started making a little bit more noise. Vince is coming back to Philadelphia to do mind games, and obviously, we had such momentum at the time, it would behoove his business to acknowledge ECW. It's this other brand out there, and why not incorporate it? It wasn't, you know, on the same par in terms of value or whatever, but why not incorporate it? Why not try to do something with it and see where it goes? I wouldn't have done the same with WCW, you know, but it was a way to broaden the business. It's not gonna help us to be embraced and endorsed by Vince McMahon. It's gonna help us to rebel against Vince McMahon. So we came up with a way that everybody won. We have an opportunity for there is a there's a local wrestling group here in Philadelphia and obviously trying to make a name for themselves here. We never were in the WWE locker room. We we would basically during the show corral in the park a lot, ECW guys. We had ECW guys sprinkled throughout the arena because we didn't know if the WWE guys were going to try and jump us. We didn't know what the deal was. Because it was like, I don't think many people knew, besides Vince McMahon, what was going to happen. And I remember uh, that night jumping that guardrail and the security trying to stop me. And a guy who was a WWE photographer here tried to stop me. He's telling me, no, it's not worth it, man, it's not worth it. And I was instructed by my boss and by a couple other people, anybody gets in your way, get him out of the way. And I just said to the photographer, you know, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do this, you know, and shoved him out of the way and he broke his shoulder. In this sense, the WWF were dealing with the renegade ECW crew on March 10th, 1997. Raw was officially renamed Raw is War, in a reference to the ongoings rating battle. This meant war. The company was going to pull out the big guns, and nothing was off the table. Throughout 1997, Raw began to take on more and more controversial elements, such as a storyline involving racist graffiti targeted at the black militant stable, the nation of domination, and emphasizing the sexuality of LA's Sonny, Sable, and Marlena, who began appearing in increasingly revealing clothing and appearing in swimsuits and lingerie in oriented spreads in the w- in the WWF's official companion magazine, The Raw Magazine. It was designed to be an alternative to the family-friendly WWF magazine and a competitor to the likewise family-friendly WCW magazine. Although these elements helped to garner the WWF more attention than it had enjoyed in the wake of the NWO storyline, the injury of Stone Cold Steve Austin at the SummerSlam pay-per-view, which put him out of action for three months, proved to be a severe blow to Raw's popularity. This would bring us to the Montreal Screwjob. Throughout 1997, Bret Hart, who had been one of the few consistent mainstays of the WWF through the 1980s and 1990s, signed a contract with WCW. 
Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were polar opposites. From the beginning, the groundwork was laid for a fierce rivalry. I just want to say one thing, Shawn Michaels, I can promise you for 60 minutes, you're in for the absolute worst pounding of your entire life. The historic Iron Man match did nothing to settle their issues. In fact, it only fueled the fire. Just because I choose to live my life openly and freely does not make you a better man. As the taunting unfolded, their bitter feelings intensified. But a degenerate. You're the most arrogant, pompous guy I've ever seen. I thought I could do it. You're way out, you me now. You'd like to hit me, but you, you don't have the insights to do it. And this here is what it's all about. And until you have this, you will never, ever, ever be the showstopper. Red Heart, you are a zero, my hero. I'm gonna kick your little scrawny ass. A story full of twists and turns saw Bret Hart's contract negotiations become the focal point of what would become their final encounter. Everybody just keeps turning a blind eye. You keep turning a blind eye. Everybody in that dressing room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I don't think there's ever been a rivalry that has been talked about as much between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And the smart money is, is that you will never, ever see it again. The incident in Montreal saw the controversial departure of Bret Hart and the introduction of WWE's greatest villain, Mr. McMahon. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. I have no sympathy for Brett. This came about due to financial restraints put on by the World Wrestling Federation as they could not commit to the 20-year contract Bret Hart signed earlier with the promotion. They could not afford the hitman. Brett at the time was the WWF champion. And since this was the only option, as stated by Vince McMahon, he wanted to part ways with the WWF amicably. We discussed this thoroughly during the heartbreak and hatred edition of Beyond the Bell. He agreed to vacate the title following a farewell speech on a broadcast of Raw. Although McMahon agreed to the arrangement, he later decided to humiliate Brett on live television without Hart's prior knowledge. McMahon arranged for Hart to appear to willfully lose his final match in the WWF at the 1997 Survivor Series. Of course, he was taking on real-life rival the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. The incident, which took place in Hart's home, uh, home country of Canada, it became known as the Montreal Screwjob. It inspired the documentary film Wrestling with Shadows. As this became the centerpiece of the film, they f this fell into their laps as they were documenting Bret Hart's career and following him around in this documentary form. And this screw job quote unquote fell into their laps as the major focal point of the film going forward it shook WWF wrestlers as a whole including their faith in their own company resulting in an air strike the following evening Hart himself who assaulted Vince 
in his dressing room later that evening prevented a walkout by asking the former co-workers not to risk their careers for his sake. Rick Rude, a wrestler who had been popular amongst both fans and his fellow wrestlers during the 1980s, and who had recently made a comeback in the WWF and was a part of D-Generation X with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and China, left the company as a result of the incident and followed Hart to WCW. Rude would debut in, in WCW on a live broadcast of Nitro to insult the WWF for its treatment of Hart the same night he appeared on a taped edition of Monday Night Raw thus becoming the first ever superstar on-air talent to appear on Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw on the same evening at the same time. It's time for the Generation X! Hit the music! Rick Root appeared on both uh, Raw and Nitro on uh, November the 17th, and uh, the uh, it certainly surprised us to... to uh, a significant degree because uh, Vince and I had been having ongoing conversations with Rick uh, about a new contract and extending his current uh, working agreement. Uh, we thought we had come to an understanding and were under the impression from talking with him that we had come to an understanding uh, and was in the process of executing the paperwork. Uh, his contract at that time was a short-term contract and had lapsed so we thought we had the contract extended per our conversations with Rick and then uh, on uh, a tape version of Raw he was included and uh, then he appeared at the same uh, same night on a live edition of Nitro so it was uh, a little surprising because we thought we had a deal with him 24 little hours You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. What's wrong in the world of professional wrestling is Shawn Michaels claiming to be world champion when he never beat Bret Hart. What's wrong with the world of professional wrestling is for Vince McMahon to instruct a referee to ring the bell in order to rob Bret Hart of his title. But on the other hand, what's right in the world of professional wrestling is for Bret Hart to abandon the Titanic and swim to the refuge of the NWO. Bret Hart's brother Owen likewise attempted to quit the WWF, setting a knee injury but was unable to get out of his contract. The WWF kept him on board, with Brett stating in previous interviews that he kind of nudged him to stay with the company, in a sense, but the British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, all left to join Brett in WCW. This was 
from a PR perspective, a nightmare for the WWF, or so they thought, in what could have been a move that rejected fans and put them off and basically be the straw that broke the camel's back to put fans over the edge to join the WSW bandwagon as a whole, turned out to be one of the biggest blessings and saviors for the company. Hart's departure would ultimately turn the tide of the Monday Night War. With Hart now on the WCW roster, Nitro boasted the most well-known names in wrestling. Unlike the WWF, WCW had been aggressively promoting new talent with up-and-coming stars and cruiserweights such as Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio Jr., Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, pushing the cruiserweights as another portion of their program. It garnered the fans' attention. It garnered my attention. The matches were stellar, leading up to the big names, the big events, with Hollywood Hulk Hogan, newly dubbed, a part of the New World Order, Kevin Ash, Scott Hall, and crew. The NWO was expanding, but had such a solid mid and low card of the cruiserweights and mid-card talent that were promoting WCW as the show to watch. Additionally, WCW had taken advantage of the popularity of wrestling amongst Hispanic, Latin American, and Asian fans by introducing a cruiserweight division. It was largely made up of stars from Mexico, Central America, and Japan who performed the acrobatically-based wrestling maneuvers popular in their home countries. Enter Mike Tenay, who was uh, and still is a professor of the arts and was a master and had the knowledge base, that professional expert knowledge base of these talents, supplied the background commentary along with Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan, who knew very little about these stars, but this was this began to be the highlight of the program, watching these cruiserweight matches. And the these talents would trickle in to the television and U.S. title divisions. Meanwhile, WCW Starcade pay-per-view, their granddaddy of them all, their version of WrestleMania in Washington, D.C., drew WCW's highest buy rate to that date, largely because of Eric Bischoff building up the main event of Hulk Hogan versus Sting, a match that fans have been waiting to see since Sting first presented himself as the leader of an anti-NWO faction a year before representing WCW in a sense, not an official capacity, but stood for the good against the evil of the NWO, this time as the Crow Sting, tearing away his surfer blonde gimmick to the dark black with white face paint crow look that he was infamous for during the Monday Night War era. The ending to the match, however, which saw Bret Hart making his WCW debut to accuse the referee of corruption making himself the referee, in fact, and awarding the championship belt to Sting, only for the belt to be stripped on a technicality, was seen as an anticlimactic finish to an event fans had patiently awaited, and the numerous reversals and technicalities employed to further the storyline were received as confusing and convoluted. We documented this thoroughly in our WCW 101 series during this portion of the history of World Championship Wrestling. Go back into the archives to check that out, btbcast.com, snsradionetwork.com. This was, in some people's view, I suggest going and 
buying the brand new commemorative Death of WCW book written by Brian Alvarez discussing what points were leading to the death of WCW or what was the trigger point, what was the beginning of the end. Some say it was later on in WCW's Nitro's tenure that it was the beginning of the end, but some can mark this moment, as I mentioned on WCW 101. This match was the highest or the, was the biggest match they could produce for WCW. The most highly anticipated match. The most highly anticipated match. One year in the making, a build. Sting had not talked in over a year. He had not wrestled in over a year. Walking through the rafters, creating havoc against the NWO, who are creating havoc against WCW. This was their culmination. This was their opportunity to show the wrestling world what they were capable of in terms of providing a punch, a payoff to a main event storyline. This frustrating and convoluted ending could be the point of which created the downfall for WCW and WCW Monday Nitro, which led to the end of the war. This could have been done differently to kind of give fans a new perspective, a new outlet, a new chapter in the storyline. But instead, they were kind of left hanging in a sense, which was a big blow to WCW. In turn, this would give the World Wrestling Federation an opening to counter and produce a new product and a new top superstar to take the reins and become the number one man in professional wrestling and possibly help push the WWF in the lead of the war. We discuss part two of the Monday Night War in the coming weeks on Beyond the Bell as we start off the war on this edition. We discuss the beginning, now leading through the end of 1997, Bret Hart joining WCW as we enter 1998. Some thought the World Wrestling Federation would be down for the count. In fact, it was the opposite. They were ready for war. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. And I want to take a moment to let you guys know that personally, I appreciate the support that we've had here on the SNS Radio Network over the years. And I'm here to tell you about a new way that you can help us out and show your support for the SNS Radio Network. We now have a way for you to donate to the SNS Radio Network. If you go to the SNSRadioNetwork.com main page, scroll down. There is now a donate button on the page. Now, I'm not saying you have to donate to us. Your donation is very appreciated as we do a lot of hard work on the SNS Radio Network. Spend a lot of our time and our own money to make sure that you guys have uh, entertaining podcasts and live shows on the SNS Radio Network. So to those who have donated so far, on behalf of the SNS Radio Network, we appreciate you and your continued support. And for those that will donate in the future, again, we thank you for your support of the SNS Radio Network, www.snsradionetwork.com, providing you with free podcasts since 2010.
Hey guys and girls, this is Ashley Richardson, and you can join me here on the SNS Radio Network every week for SNS Sticks and Flicks, where we cover video gaming news, whether it be handhelds, mobiles, last generation PC, or the next gen of the Wii U, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. Did somebody say 4? No, I didn't mean you 4. Anyway, there's also movie and entertainment news, as well as perhaps the occasional review, and I'll give you the lowdown on whether it's the right movie or show for you. Did somebody say four? Look, I didn't mean you four. Just go away, okay? There's also a possibility of other stuff being on the show. It could be sports, it could be politics, it could be news, it could be what I had for lunch. Yeah, I don't know, but it'll be all for you. Nothing? Seriously, nothing? Anyway, all that on SNS Sticks and Flicks here on the SNS Radio Network, and all for free. Did somebody say free? Ah, I'm done. What? Was it something I said? This is a total package, Lex Luger. You are on SNS. Well, Monday Night War Vets. That wraps up another edition of the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast Beyond the Bell here on the SNS Radio Network. Part one of our five-part series is in the books. We cover the beginning, what started the war, the groundwork, and the battles that led to this Monday Night War to debut in 1996 between the WWF and WCW. I hope you guys enjoy this series. Remember, this is a companion piece to the DVD, the Monday Night War, the shoot interviews, and in celebration of the network series, the Monday Night War on the WWE Network. This is another piece of the puzzle, another look, another vantage point of this era to just increase your knowledge base as a pro wrestling fan, as an old school fan, in fact. On part two, we'll discuss the impact that 1998 played on this war as it was a pivotal year between the two with ratings bouncing back and forth. In this upcoming edition, we'll cover the numbers of the war, the ratings numbers, a little, uh, in a little bit more of detail, and discuss the twists and turns and storylines between both companies that would create such enjoyable and exciting television for the wrestling fan. So before we take it home, I wanted to play back our promo of the week. 
this new segment for Beyond the Bell as a companion to our Match of the Week segment. We'll relive an infamous, historic, and popular promo from the history of professional wrestling. Now, at the top of our program, we relive some of the greatest moments in SmackDown history as it was the 15th anniversary, 15 years of SmackDown for the WWE. So we'll keep that spirit, in fact, as when you talk about the greatest superstars of SmackDown, you can say Edge, Kurt Angle, The Undertaker was a staple on SmackDown to help boast that brand and be a benchmark. But Edge, on a day-in and day-out basis, was the SmackDown brand. Kurt Angle was promoted as the superstar for SmackDown. Brock Lesnar was featured on SmackDown. Eddie Guerrero. Then Batista, becoming a huge part of the organization, or the brand, I should say. He was a huge part of the entire organization in general, but the brand was Batista at one point. Then CM Punk coming along to take the brand with a straight-edge society. King Bucca was infamous with his world title run, but one of the staples of SmackDown, and arguably you could say he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest SmackDown superstar because of his tenure and what he did within his longevity on that show. The longest reigning WWF champion in SmackDown history, John Bradshaw Layfield. He reinvented himself on SmackDown from turning back from Justin Hawk Bradshaw to Blackjack Bradshaw to the Acolytes in Bradshaw, the APA, by himself after they split, reuniting, and then splitting again and creating the JBL character off of his book, Make More Money Now, created this now tycoon, this Wall Street tycoon from Texas, now living in New York, Coming out in a limousine, cowboy hat, white cowboy hat and all, the J.R. Ewing look, great gimmick, fit him perfectly, and he produced some of his best work in his entire career during his championship run on SmackDown. So, in our inaugural promo of the week, and in spirit of 15 years of SmackDown, I'm going to take you back to one of the greatest promos from JBL on SmackDown. Most of you people are extremely happy that I just had one hell of a week. Not only do I get fired from CNBC, but Eddie Guerrero wrecks my limousine with me in it. And with Ronald Reagan, one of our greatest presidents ever, passing away last week, all the media wants to talk about is me. You people in our media in America are what is exactly wrong with America. Americans are what's wrong with America. You people want me to fail for one reason. Shut up, I'm talking. You people want me to fail because when I was in high school, I'm the one that threw you in a locker. I'm the one that took your girlfriend. I was the captain of the football team. I'm the one that got everything. And it hasn't changed one damn bit now that I'm 37 years old. I am richer than you people. I am better looking than you people. And what makes you mad is, is I have a backbone. The whole world is against me right now. 
The media has vilified me. CNBC has fired me. And what makes you people the maddest is I will not beg for a damn thing. I will not crawl. I will not back up. You can knock me on my but I will be back. And that makes you people mad. Because despite everything, I will come back and I will be successful. It is what I have done my whole life, and that is why you people hate me. I was raised by a man who had a backbone. So do I. I came in this world alone. I will leave alone. I don't need a damn soul with me. Come hell, come high water. Take your best shot, America. John Bradshaw Layfield is right here, and I won't back up from anybody. And if you don't like it, you can go to hell. A year and a half ago, I was a guest of the United States Army in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Where were you? Where were you? Where was our media? You weren't there, were you? I am an American. The night before, a soldier got killed in a firefight. A soldier got killed in a firefight, and what did our media cover? The fact that a man died a hero defending our country? The fact that a man died preserving our freedom in a land he didn't want to be in thousands of miles away from his family? What are you booing, our American soldiers? Huh? That shows you what kind of American you are, you piece of garbage. American media covered one thing that week, and that was the fact that Sean Penn, Sean Penn was in Baghdad as a guest of Saddam Hussein's regime in support of Iraq, and they cast it in a positive light. That is the media that guides you like the mindless zombies that you are. Oh, I've been to Iraq now, but I went as a guest of the United States government in support of our troops, calling me anything but a great American is like calling Mother Teresa a prostitute. I come back last week and find out that I am fired from CNBC. I left Fox News as a guy who appeared on there regularly to CNBC, a ratings that might as well be in the witness protection program to all kinds of dreams. And all of a sudden, after three weeks, they realize that I'm a wrestler. Oh my God, I've got a big mouth. Well, you're damn right I've got a big mouth. And there's nothing you nor CNBC can do about it. You see, I might as well take the Fifth Amendment because the First Amendment does not mean a damn thing in our society anymore. You see, everybody loves free speech until you use free speech. I wondered why you people hated me. Well, now I know because I expose you for what you are. 
I am strong. Therefore, you are exposed for the fact that you are weak. I am driven, and that exposes the fact that you are lazy, complacent, and take jobs you do not like because you don't have the guts to speak up. I have a backbone, and that makes you mad. People like me, people like me, are the ones that founded America. Put that foreign flag down, son, you're in America. Our founding fathers are rolling over in their grave right now at the pathetic example of Americans that you people have become. I am a window, a mirror that makes you look into your own souls and you don't like what you see. You hate me because I reveal what you are. Well, at the Great American Bash, I'm going to go one step further. I am going to become WWE Champion for one reason, and that is to shove it down your throats. Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, this is past personal. Do you even know what a bull rope match is? There is a reason. They don't do bull rope matches anymore. Blood is gonna flow like a river. This will make Judgment Day look like a cartoon. Eddie Guerrero, you have come to represent everything I hate about America. Eddie Guerrero, you personify what I abhor. These people like Eddie Guerrero because Eddie Guerrero asks nothing of them. I condemn, I condemn, listen to me, I condemn you people for your lazy and pathetic lives. You are underachievers, and I say you are wrong, and you hate me because of it. Well, Eddie, if I have to destroy myself to destroy you, then by God in heaven, by everything holy, that is what I will do. Because I don't care if it's you people, I don't care if it's CNBC. I don't care if it's our liberal media. And I damn sure don't care if it's you, Eddie Guerrero. Nobody, nobody can stop me from becoming WWE Champion and taking my date with destiny. Don't forget to catch Beyond the Bell each and every week on the SNS Radio Network and at btbcast.com. Stream live at snsradionetwork.com. All shows are archived on both sites. Don't forget to listen to This Day in Wrestling History each and every week on Unplugged every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. at snsradionetwork.com. That's 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, don't forget to purchase your SNS Radio Network merchandise at snsradionetwork.com. Go to SNS Shop, sponsored by Zazzle.com, the merchandise for the SNS Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman at BTBCast, as well as like us on Facebook, BTBCast as well, facebook.com forward slash BTBCast. Thank you so much, fans, for joining us for another edition of Beyond the Bell, the place that takes you back in time to relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling.
next week in celebration of the Phase 1 release of WWE 2K15 for Xbox 360 and PS3. We'll take you to our two-part series. Part 1 will debut next week of the history of professional wrestling video gaming. We look back at the beginning of professional wrestling video games from the early 80s. Even we'll talk about possibly the late 70s, mainly from the early 80s up until you could say this era, the Monday Night War era in professional wrestling history. So next week, part one of the history of professional wrestling video gaming on Beyond the Bell. Part two will be released right alongside the phase two release of WWE 2K15 for Xbox One and PS4. That's what I'm waiting for. I wish it was already the 28th of October for both for all four systems, but they pushed that back. I mentioned that on our last edition, but I digress. It's time, fans, to take it home with some old-school music. Tonight, we talked about the Monday Night War, and in Phase 1, Part 1, the beginning of the Monday Night War, we saw the first defection that played a big part in the success of Monday Night Tro because it gave it... That, that live feel, that unpredictable feel. Anything can happen. And that WSW can snag superstars away from the WWF. The total package Lex Luger left the World Wrestling Federation the night before at a house show to come on board and re-debut on the first ever edition, the debut edition of WCW Monday Nitro. So we'll take it home with the total package Lex Luger's theme in WCW during the Monday Night War era. So until next week, fans, when we rewind and relive all things retro and wrestling, this is your party host, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Until next week, fans, remember, stay old school my friends.
They are athletes well past their prime. Both refuse to retire, both suffer from male pattern baldness, and both sold out to billionaire Ted, the huckster, and the nacho man, ahead on Larry Fling Live. The Billionaire News Network presents Larry Fling Live. And now, from Washington, here's Larry Fling. <laughs> I tell you, these guys take me way back to my childhood. They're truly stars from a previous generation. The front men in Billionaire Ted's scheme to put the World Wrestling Federation out of business. Joining us tonight, the Huckster and the Nacho Man. What you gonna do, brother, when the Huckster runs out on you? Oh, yeah! First of all, how's Liz? She's not so great. Well, send her my love, will ya? Now, there's no question the WWF made you guys into stars. Why did you leave? Well, we couldn't keep up with the new generation. The WWF said we were too old to wrestle. But look at me now, brother. I may be old and slow and bold, but old is old, and I'm only as old as I feel. And I feel pretty old and bold. Oh, I hear you. I hear you, brother. I hear you, brother. Guys, oh, yeah. you're both obviously over the hill. How much longer are you going to carry on this charade? Charade? What charade? Look at this body, brother. I am immortal. Joining us now via special television hookup from Atlanta, my boss, your boss, why heck, just about everyone's boss, Billionaire Ted. Well, uh, hey, hey, fellas. Billionaire Ted, first of all, how's Jane? Uh, well, uh, she's, uh, she's fine, you know, it's fine. Great, great. Give her my love, will you? <laughs> now, Ted, I, uh, I gotta be honest with you, I can't tell who's older. Me or these two geezers. But uh, if you overpay me like you do these two has-beens, I'll put on a pair of yellow tights and dance around the ring with a chair. Has-been? Who are you calling a has-been, brother? Oxter, you settle down. You don't want to overexert yourself at your age. You got a big match coming at WrestleMania. Speaking of WrestleMania, who is going to win your match, Nacho? Billionaire Tit promised me I would. What? No way, brother. I've got to win that match for all the huckster maniacs who buy my merchandise. Yeah. Listen, brother. The only reason they wear your crap is because they hand it out for free, brother. And those poor suckers are promised they'd be on TV if they wear it, brother. And that's the truth, brother. Stop calling me, brother. Brother. Things uh, seem to be a little out of control right now. Uh, all I can say is, don't forget to join us next time. See you later. Old school fans want to relive some world-class memories? Catch the World Class Milestone Series, the history of world-class championship wrestling on Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast on the SNS Radio Network. Relive the world-class milestones from the very beginning to the downfall. Travel back in time now and relive world-class championship wrestling at btbcast.com.